Well, good morning. Welcome to Salem Chapel uh, today. If you're watching us online, man, I'm so glad that you're joining us as well on this uh, first Sunday for us at least, and gathering together for uh, the new year, and so excited for that. And um, hold on a second, my iPad's not working. There we go. Um, you guys are about to get a really short message, so <laughs> which some of you maybe were hoping for. Um, but we're so glad to have you here uh, today. And uh, man, I, I just want to share with you, first of all, I know I've gotten some questions uh, like, hey, how'd we end the year? Uh, what came in for the Make and Mobilize initiative? And I'm going to share that with you uh, this morning for sure before we get uh, into the passage of Scripture um, today. And um, let me just give me a minute because like all of a sudden, here we go. There we go. For some reason, it pulled up a message that I did before Christmas. No idea how that happened. Uh, but we are here now. Um, but I want to celebrate just, you know, what the Lord has done in 2022, just quickly. Uh, we put out a 2022 year in review. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because... Um, I know sometimes it's hard with all the communication that you're, you're bombarded with, uh, sometimes to, to even see some of the things that we put out, though I hope that you do. Uh, we put this out in um, our weekly email a few weeks ago, uh, or actually probably around a week ago. Uh, it's on our website as well. So let me tell you where you can find all of this information. I'm only going to share a little bit with you. But it's SalemChapel.org, that's our website if you didn't know that, backslash 2022. And I encourage you, if you call this place your home, to look at that document because it just shares so many of the things that God has done. But here's what I've found in my life. I am so naturally forward-focused to a detriment. And what I've learned in my life, in my walk with the Lord, and am learning, let me be clear to make that known, is that celebration is a discipline for me. And I think that's probably true for most of us. So can I just take a moment just to celebrate, though numbers aren't everything, at the same time I want to celebrate some of the things that the Lord has done. And so uh, I'll let you know when you can applaud um, at the end of this, but I just want you to listen to this because I don't want anyone clapping right now to miss hearing this. So first thing you need to know is that uh, this past year in 2022, we had 35% growth in attendance, which is an amazing thing. Now, some of you are numbers people and stats people. Uh, I don't know if we have any of those out in the room. You're like, yeah, but 2021, we were still coming out of COVID. Well, what you need to understand is I talk with a lot of pastors across the country, and unfortunately, they have not uh, gained back the people that maybe were at home during COVID. And so what I want you to know is that is something that by God's grace uh, is not the case for us. Uh, we have seen 35% growth in attendance. And what you also need to know is that our online viewership has actually the same as it was when we were in lockdown. Um, so, so by God's grace, he has uh, been good to us in that. We have over 60 abide groups. Uh, those are two to three people meeting out throughout the week, using our Bible reading tool, using the prayer tool on their own. Oh, I say over 60 because it's gotten to the place where we can't tangibly keep track of all of them that are multiplying, but that's something to praise the Lord about. In 2022, over 200 people were in our life groups uh, that meet weekly in homes 
homes and some in this building. Three new life groups are starting this year. So if you're not in one, I encourage you uh, there at the TV along the wall by the Abide Cafe, uh, you can sign up for a life group today. And uh, praise God for that. 61 leaders trained in our leadership retreat in July. 108 people participated in Restore in 2022. 20% growth in Salem kids. Over 40 teens participating in Thrive on a weekly basis. That's our youth ministry. Our college ministry is made up of students from Wake Forest University, Winston-Salem State, Carolina University, Salem College, and Forsyth Tech. And if you're a college student here today and you're not involved in our college ministry, we would love for you to be involved and you can meet someone out after church today in the lobby right next to that sign that says college. We have 10 local and international partners that we have partnered with in 2022. That's why I say you need to look at that document because it lets you know of each one of them. Just some of the things that we've done locally. Our grocery day that we did a couple months ago, 2,411 pounds of food. And we know that the need for uh, that was more produce. So produce weighs a lot more than canned goods and is a lot more expensive. And you all just came through marvelously. $3,800 in toys donated for Christmas uh, for Kimberly Park. 16 people registered to go to our first short-term missions trip since COVID, which we are so excited for in the Dominican Republic. They're actually having a meeting right now as we speak. So those are just a few of the things Man, we can celebrate the Lord for that the Lord has sustained us through a pandemic and he has multiplied what God has been doing through that difficult time as well. All right, so how did we end the year as far as financially uh, outside of Make and Mobilize initiative? So $1,095,000 came in this year. What you need to know is that's 4% more than in 2022, and we praise God for that. As far as the Make and Mobilize initiative, you know the goal was $100,000. Up to this point, we have $92,500 have come in. The reason why I say that is we've had conversations with some of you that are like, hey, I want to give. Uh, I wasn't able to give at the end of the year to that. I want to give towards that. And we praise God for that. And I have no doubt that we're going to hit that $100,000 goal. Now, what you need to understand, because some of you may not know this, is in 2022, we have brought you, through the faithfulness of the people, you who have given, this is the most money that has ever come in in Salem Chapel in his existence. And we need to praise God for that. Can we put our hands together for the financial provision and for the numbers that I just stated? And I'm not including the money that was given so graciously uh, by individuals that got us even to that 1.25 number. So praise God for his faithfulness. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 14. I'm going to begin reading in verses 1 through 6. If you follow along in our reading plan, maybe you haven't up to this point, and, and we make a lot of New Year's resolutions. Man, one of the ones that I hope that you will make is, man, I want to spend more time in God's Word. And so I encourage you, if you don't have one of these, you can grab this at the Welcome Center. You can go to our website under our teaching tab, and you can download this if you want a digital copy. And so if you have been following along, you've already read 1 Samuel 14 and 15. Now, these are two chapters 
that we're not gonna have time to deal with every verse and every nuance. I had someone after the first service say, man, I was really hoping you would touch on this, but instead you focused on this. And that's, that's the reality when you're walking through a large book and not having the time to walk through every verse, but that's the beauty as well, that we want God's word to speak to you, not just for you to rely on how the Lord spoke to me and what he's led me to share with you. But the title of this series is Give Us a King. Aaron already said it during our communion time and said it well, that our heart longs for someone to resolve the difficulties and the circumstances that we go through in life. And so I don't know about you, but I know it's true of me, so I'm gonna assume it's true of you. We spend so much time, we spend so much money, we spend so much energy looking for that person. We spend so much time, so much energy, so much uh, resources maybe trying to be that person for someone else, trying to be that person for ourselves. And the reality is, is that you, that I, that we cannot be that for ourselves and we cannot be that for one another. But there's one king, there's one savior, and his name is Jesus. And so the title of the message this morning is this, who is your savior king? I just want you to think about that question. Who is your savior king? Because the reality is what we need to be reminded of this morning, I say remind because most of us know this theologically, but if you were like me, I just don't wanna know it theologically, I wanna live it. And it's this idea that the Lord is the only one who is able to be your savior king. The only one who's able. And the reason why I say that is in the end of verse six, and trust me, we're gonna cover these verses, verses one through six and other passages as well. So I know I'm jumping into the middle of the verse, but there's a phrase that stuck out to me in these last couple weeks as I was reading through this. And it was this phrase that Jonathan says to his armor bearer when he's deciding about going and attacking the Philistines. He says, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, by many or by few. Can you say this word with me? Say the word nothing. Can we say that together? Nothing. Can we say it one more time? Nothing. So I want us to think about whatever is causing us to want to be our Savior. Whatever is causing you or causing me to want to be someone else's Savior, and we're feeling the weight of that, and we're feeling the pressure of that, and we're crumbling under that pressure and that weight. I want you to think of that thing right now. You got it? Now let's say that word nothing again. Can we say that together again? Nothing. Because God's word says for nothing. That thing that's in your mind right now. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether that's saving it with a bunch of people in context to this passage or whether it's by a few, nothing can hinder 
the Lord from saving. He's the only one who can be your savior king. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna give you some positive results of seeing the Lord as the only one who's able to be your savior king. And then I want us to see some negative results of when we see ourselves as our king. And that will be our time this morning. But as I looked at this passage of scripture, I thought to myself, Lord, if there's one thing that we can be reminded of going into this new year, 2023, and like I said, we praise God for the things that he has done in this church collectively in 2022. And we look forward to the things that God is gonna do in 2023 as a church. But I also want you to think about your life. There's probably things that you can praise God. I know there are things that you can praise him for in 2022. But as you head into 2023, if there's one thing that you can say, man, I wanna be resolved in this, it's that I want to look to Jesus as the only one who is able to be my savior king. So let me give you the first positive result that stems from that. And it's found in verse one, supernatural faith. It's the first result. What do I mean by that? Your faith in the character and competency of your savior king grows when you see him as the only one who's able to be your savior king. Look at verse one. It says, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father, his father being Saul. So here's the context, and I know it's, we spent a couple weeks, and we got Christmas, and we got New Year's, and all that stuff, but the last message that we spoke on in this series was 1 Samuel 13, and remember where we had ourselves. We had Israel faced up against the Philistines in this battle of Michmash, and there was this standstill that we found ourselves, and I said that we're going to see the battle ensue in chapter 14. So I wish I could find, I couldn't find a map that illustrated this perfectly, and then maps are hard to see, and then you gotta think about the resolution, so I couldn't find anything on good old Google images, so you're just gonna have to picture this with me. So literally, you have, you have this ravine that's separating uh, Saul from Jonathan. So Jonathan is to the north with his men, Saul is to the south with his men, and in the middle, you have this massive ca cavalry and chariots and troops of the Philistines. And Jonathan is here and he's saying to himself, let's go, bro. Like, we've got the promise of, promise of God. He's promised to be with us. If we fear him and serve him and obey him, that we're told that it will go well with us. That's a promise that the Lord gives in chapter 12, verse 14 of 1 Samuel. It's a promise that he's given to Saul when he gave Saul his purpose to be the king of Israel and to, and to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. So Jonathan's looking at this and he's saying, we've got the promise. Let's go after this. Let's stop just sitting here. So Jonathan comes up with a scenario to determine whether or not his plan 
of this covert operation. For whatever reason, Jonathan is like the Navy SEALs of the children of Israel because he keeps going on these covert missions apart from everyone else. And so Jonathan's ready to do this again, but he comes up with this scenario on to determine whether or not this is the way that God wants to do it. And the scenario is actually found in verse seven and verse eight. So here's the scenario, because we don't have time to read it this morning. Here's the scenario. First scenario that Jonathan says, is he tells his armor bearer, hey, if we go and we reveal ourselves to the Philistines and they say back to us, wait, we're going to come to you then we know we're not supposed to engage. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a horrible strategy for me hiding and to say, hey, we're over here. And literally saying the Philistines are like, oh, hey, Jonathan, come on over. But that's the scenario that's given. So first scenario, they show themselves. And if the Philistines say, hey, stay there, we're gonna come to you then they know they're not to be able to engage. And so the opposite then is the case, but if we reveal ourselves to the Philistines and the Philistines say, come up to us, then we know that we're supposed to engage and that's what the Lord desires. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because here in the Old Testament, we see a lot of this. Lord, show us a sign. If we're supposed to do this, show us a sign. And sometimes, depending on our background, what we've been taught is, is, man, that's not how you should live your life, always looking for signs. But I think we gotta stop ourselves and caution ourselves when it comes to exercising faith in the character and competency of our Savior King. Because as I said, that's a result of what happens as we see him as that our faith grows. And it's not a faith that we can take credit for, it's a supernatural faith. Because let's think about our lives. The Bible is a sign that testifies to the character and competency of our Savior King. There's passages all over this book, 66 books, that testify to that reality. And if we are engaged in it, if we're reading it, if we're asking the Lord to speak to us through it, it is a sign that he can be trusted, that we can put our faith in him. The Bible's a sign. What else do we have? We have people. We have God's people. I've had it happen in my life where I have people that surround me that are encouraging me to have the faith to trust in the Lord's character and competency when I'm struggling and they're around me and I'm being transparent with them. I'm saying, man, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm angry. This is where I'm frustrated. This is where I'm doubting. And I share that with them and they're praying for me and they're encouraging me and they're sharing with me ways that the Lord has been faithful to them. God's people are a sign in the character and competency of our Savior King. And then what else is there? There's circumstances. I've had circumstances in my life that I don't have time to share a lot of them, but I have circumstances in my life that stem when I was little and just remembering even as a kid and my parents sitting us down and saying, here was a financial need that we had and it was this amount of money. We didn't know that, but literally sitting all of us six boys on this couch trying to cram us all on one couch with six people and literally saying, hey, a check came in the mail from this person. We didn't even tell them about the need, but God gave the need and it supplied. Little things like that, what are those? Those are circumstances that testify to us having the faith to trust in the character and competency of our king. Why do I say that? Let's not be too quick to say that when I'm struggling, 
to trust in who my Savior King is, to ask for a sign. Because we have the Bible, we have God's people, and we have circumstances that are there if we can see them. And that's exactly what Jonathan does. Hebrews 11.1 says this about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That, Lord, I'm going to exercise faith in what I'm believing you're going to do. I'm going to exercise faith. I'm going to hope and trust in your character and competency in whatever it is. But then it says, it's the conviction of things not seen. That word conviction literally means proof. So it's such a simple verse that we know so well, but I think sometimes we minimize what God's word is saying. Here's what faith is. Yes, it's trusting in what God's gonna do, and we don't know the outcome. But faith is also having the conviction to say, but I have proof from my past that the Lord can be trusted in my future, whatever it is. And that's exactly what Jonathan did because this is the second time that he does this. And what is he relying on? He's relying on, wait a minute, God, you've given me signs in the past, circumstances in the past, your word in the past, God's people in the past that helped me that have a conviction to say that even though I can't see what you're gonna do in this present, I have faith that you're my savior, that though nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether it's just by you and me, armor bearer, or by the entire nation of Israel. Supernatural faith. Here's the second result when we see the Lord as our savior king. Supernatural confidence. What do I mean by that? Your confidence to face adversity grows. That when adversity comes, and I wish I could give you a promise this morning that 2023 will have absolutely no adversity. Thank you for laughing, because that's exactly the case. And I'm not saying that to be, oh man, I was coming for hopefully something encouraging this morning. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just saying that's the reality because we live in a sinful, broken world. And I hope it's less than 2022 was for you. But nevertheless, adversity will come. But when I am looking to the Lord as my Savior King, I exemplify supernatural faith. Faith that I can't take credit for and you can't take credit for, but only comes from our King through the Holy Spirit. But also supernatural confidence. Not cockiness, confidence because it's confidence in our Savior King. So when we face adversity, what happens? Man, my confidence grows because my faith is growing. Why do I say that? Because of what I just emphasized in verse six. I don't need to read it again. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or whether by few. That's not natural to say when you've got 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen cavalry, and troops like the sand of the seashore, as it's described in chapter 13. I don't know about you, that's not natural. You're right, it's supernatural. And that supernatural confidence comes from Jonathan's savior king. Confidence is the result of my faith being tested. You growing in confidence is the result of you exercising faith in the character and competency of your king. 
And so I don't know what you're going to face this year. I don't know what you may be in like, man, Johnny, we're only eight days into 2023 and it's already not going well. But what do you do in that moment? Do you see yourself as your savior? Or do you see your king as your savior? Because when we see our king, all oh, the result is supernatural faith, a faith that's constantly growing, a confidence that's constantly growing that's supernatural, that can't be explained in human terms. But here's the third result that I see. Man, there's supernatural leadership that we see in our lives. Because the armor bearer, and what I mean by that is you see that you're inspiring others to have faith and confidence in their Savior King. That your faith and your confidence actually is used of the Lord to inspire other people to have the same. Supernatural leadership. Why do I say that? Because here's the armor bearer's response. Now, let me just be real. I mean, we're in church. Let's, be, let's not lie. Let's be real. If I'm Jonathan's armor bearer and he's saying, hey, you and me, only you and me are gonna go after these Philistines and hey, God gave the sign so we're supposed to go. I'm looking like him like he's completely lost his mind. But look at the armor bearer's response. The armor bearer said to him, verse seven, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. So that would be our response. Hey, you wanna do this? Go for it. Do as you wish. But that's not what the armor bearer, that's not where he stops. He says, behold, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan, I'm with you in this. You have the faith, you have the confidence in the Lord to do what he said he was gonna do. He has the character that he's not gonna lie, that he has the competency to deliver on what he's promised, that I'm with you as well. Man, I'm going with you. And as you continue to read, what you find is, is that the Lord does exactly what he said he was gonna do. Jonathan and his armor bearer, two guys kill 20 men. Remember, we've got 30,000 chariots, 6,000 people on horses, troops like the sand of the seashore. They go in and kill 20 men, which is a blip on the radar, right? But then all of a sudden, what you find in the verses beyond what we read is all of a sudden panic ensues in the camp and these Philistines start killing one another and there's this earthquake that happens and more Philist causes more panic in the camp and then Saul gets wind of it on the other side of where Jonathan is and so Saul and his troops are like, man, look at this, something's going on here so we wanna get involved in it too and so then all of Saul's troops begin to attack the Philistines but the Philistines are doing more than the Israelites would, could ever do. The Philistines are actually killing one another because of this panic and this earthquake and all this that is being turned upside down in the Philistines' camp and look at verse 22. It says, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, remember all those people, if you were here with me in chapter 13, the people that hid in caves and in large water cisterns and everything else that we would look like and be like, good gracious. Like, really? Now all of a sudden they got this confidence and this faith because it says, when they heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. Like, we wanna be a part of this now. We wanna exercise faith. We wanna have confidence, just like Jonathan and his armor bearer had. We wanna be a part of this. We're inspired. In verse 23, it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. As I was looking in chapter 14 and just thinking to myself, 
going into this year, thinking about all that God's done in 2022, thinking about the things that we want to go after in 2023, and thinking about M3 facility and the desire that we have to serve the community, but also to just create more environments and more space, frankly, to do things that we haven't been able to do in this building. Thinking about the renovations of this current facility and having more opportunity for people just to gather and whether it's the playground, whether it's a gym, whether it's a patio out back of the M3, whether it's a field in the back, all of those different types of things that so many of you contributed to. And I was just reflecting on myself. If you were to say, or ask this, or if I was to ask this of you, what do you believe my primary role is as a lead pastor of this church? I wonder what you would say. And I'm asking you just to think about that because it's a question I ask myself, just as I thought about going into this year. Some of you might say, well, Johnny, you're the one who is the primary communicator of Salem Chapel, and you'd be right. Johnny, ultimately, you have the responsibility to oversee all the execution of all the ministries and those executing on those ministries. You play a role along with the elders and thinking about where does God want us to go into the future, and all of that would be true, but you'd be wrong. Because at the end of the day, here's my primary role, is to point you to see Jesus as the only one who is able to be your savior king. That's my role. It's my role here. And not to say that those other things are not, but that's my primary role. And I would love to be able to say that I have always thought that in 20 some years of ministry, but I haven't. Many times I've, I've felt the weight of like, well, my role is to grow the church by so much more of a percentage than it was last year and to see uh, us go after things that we haven't before and to constantly see our attendance numbers going up and our financial numbers going up and more ministries happening and all of those types of things. And not that there's anything wrong with that. But I'd be lying in saying, if I hadn't had years in a couple decades of ministry where that was the thing that I saw as my primary role. And when I was reading through this passage and seeing the resolve of Jonathan, I was yet again reminded that my primary role is to point you to your Savior King. It's not me. It's not anybody on staff. It's not your small group leader. But it's Jesus. And when we think about all the things that we hope to be able to do with this Make and Mobilize initiative, whether it's the back building and the things that will go on, whether it's a bath, what will happen in a, in a, in a gym or, or on a playground or any, what you need to know is that the reason why we are doing these things is to create environments to where your faith can be strengthened environments where your confidence in your king can grow, environments to where you can share how your faith is growing and how your confidence is growing so that you can have leadership in inspiring others. When I use that word, we so often wanna go, I'm not a leader. 
I don't lead anything. I'm an employee at work. Yeah, I'm in a dating relationship. I'm not dating. I'm single. I'm married. I've got kids. I don't have kids. And we can say, I'm not a leader. But don't pigeonhole that word. What I mean by spiritual leadership is that you have the opportunity through ways that you are growing in your faith and your confidence to inspire others to do the same. That's leadership. And so I just want to make clear and, and oh, we hit this goal, we've hit that goal, that we understand that the reason why we are doing these things is to create more opportunities and more environments to where you can see Jesus as your Savior King. Because that's what we're here for. But what's the negative results? And I'll do these quickly, as quickly as I can. The reason why I want to give these to you and not just state the positive is because so often we need to be reminded of this is what our default is if we're not careful. The negative results of not seeing Jesus as the only one who's able to be our Savior King, but the negative results of seeing ourselves as our Savior King. Here's the first one, self-centered decision-making. Self-centered decision-making. See, we see in Jonathan the positive results of seeing Jesus, our God as his King, but Unfortunately, with Saul, we see the complete opposite. What do I mean by self-centered decision-making? That your decisions will have you at the center at the expense of others. Why do I say that? Because I don't know if you caught this when I read uh, verse one and two, but can we look at verse two of 1 Samuel 14? Look where Saul's at. Saul's staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Milgram. A pomegranate cave. Now, I like pomegranates, especially when they're covered in chocolate. But Jonathan's like literally, I'm like, like between two gorges deciding whether or not he's gonna go with his armor bearer and face the Philistines, and Saul's hanging out in the pomegranate cave. Sounds like a spa. What a great name for a spa. The pomegranate cave. Saul's chilling with 600 of his mightiest men, and he also has the priest with him. And the priest, Ahijah, in verse 3, says that he's wearing an ephod. So back during this time, they wore this breastplate, and inside of this breastplate were two stones, the umum and the thumum. And what they would do is, in order to make decisions, the Lord would reveal what they were to do through these two stones. I know it sounds like Indiana Jones, but that was how the Lord communicated back then. So what's my point? Saul's hanging out in the pomegranate cave with the person who's able to discern the will of the Lord and Saul's not doing anything. Such complete opposite of Jonathan. And man, when we see ourselves as our savior king, man, our decisions can be so self-centered. And unfortunately, it's at the expense of others. Because look at verse 24 of chapter 14. Because just to let you know what happens is, is, as I just read, Israel wins the victory. So what's Saul's response after it? Would it be to give God glory? No, look at verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day. Understatement of the century, if you're fighting for your life. And it says, so Saul laid on an oath on the people. So he says this to the people, cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening and I am avenged of my enemies. 
They just fought hard all day. They need nourishment. They need to be rewarded. They need to be thought of. And instead, Saul says, nobody's eating until I'm avenged of my enemies. And God help us. When we feel like we've got to be our own savior and the savior of everyone else, you know what, our, you know what eventually is going to happen? Man, your decisions are all going to revolve around you because at the end of the day, you know you can't deliver on what you're promising. And so now you're in self-preservation mode. And our decisions will have us at the center and unfortunately at the expense of others. Here's a, another negative result, self-centered leadership. We see that in verses 30 and 32 and 44 and 45. What do I mean by that? Your leadership will exhaust and discourage those under your care. Man, what did Jonathan's leadership do? Man, it inspired. What did Saul's leadership do? Man, it exhausted and discouraged those under their care. Because in verse 30, 30, it says, because of the way that Saul handled things, It says the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Like he stole the glory that God should have gotten. And what happens is, is Jonathan doesn't know this oath that Saul makes because Jonathan's not with his dad when he makes it. So Jonathan finds some honey and he sticks his staff into the honey and he eats some of it. It says his eyes light up. In other words, he's refreshed from the nourishment because after all, this poor guy's gone in and led the way in the Lord accomplishing this victory. And so now all of a sudden, what's Saul gonna do? And what's so ridiculous is that Saul actually follows through. He's about to kill his son Jonathan because he made this oath that was all centered around himself. And actually God's people speak up and they say, no, Saul, you're not gonna do this. And Jonathan is spared. But what's my point? It's, man, when we're looking to ourselves as our Man, I gotta be my savior. I gotta be everybody else's savior. And you're putting yourself under that weight because you've got an ego that can't admit that you can't be someone else's savior. Man, it's gonna result in self-centered decision-making, but it's gonna exhaust those who are under your care. And here's the last thing. Man, the negative result, self-centered regret. Because in chapter 15, here's what happens. Man, they they defeat the Philistines in chapter 14 and Samuel goes to Saul and says, Saul, God wants you to go after the Amalekites. He wants you to fight the Amalekites. And so, so, but, but Samuel tells Saul, Saul, you need to wipe out every single Amalekite and you need to also kill the king and you need to also slaughter all of their goods and everything. And so Saul goes and he fights the Amalekites and God gives them the victory. But here's the problem, he disobeys. He saves King Agag. Because what you need to know during this time period is is you would not kill the king, you would do everything to humiliate the king so that you could be seen as greater. They would torture the king, they would ride him through the streets, they would beat him, and yes, they would eventually kill him, but not before they humiliated him. So Saul played like everybody else played. And instead of Saul doing what he did, he saved all the best livestock. And Samuel gets wind of this from the Lord, and look at the way that Saul speaks to Samuel when Samuel confronts him and actually Samuel says, the Lord regrets making you king. That word regret means he's sorrowful over making you king. And look at Saul's response in verse 20 of chapter 15. He says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Really? Really? No, you haven't. 
I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil. Oh, that's a great leadership play. Throw the people under the bus. But that's self-centered decision-making, self-centered leadership. And look at verse 30. After Samuel tells Saul that God's done with you, Saul. Then he said, I have sinned. But look at the emphasis. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Okay, yeah, 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 Samuel, I, I get it, I get it. I did wrong, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. But, but Samuel, you gotta honor me. Like, you gotta honor me. You, you can't just confront me. You gotta honor me. Like, I'm gonna lose my influence. I'm gonna lose uh, whatever I have with the people. Honor me. That's why I say the negative result of seeing yourself as your savior king is you're only sorrowful over what you lost, but you're not sorrowful over your sin. And the hurt that it caused to you, to others, the way that it grieved the Lord, and we never see that in Saul's life. Have you ever thought about this? We're gonna get into David, but it's not really, we're not gonna cover it in this series because it's more in 2 Samuel. But what David does is so much worse in the sin categories than what Saul ever does. Saul disobeys the Lord in, in these instances, but he never murders anyone. David did. He never commits adultery with anyone. David did. So why did the Lord respond differently to David than he did to Saul? Why? Because David knew what it meant to repent. David was sorry over his sin, not consumed with what he may lose. And so often we can so approach the need for repentance with pragmatism. Yeah, I repent, but I'm more concerned about what I'm gonna lose. That's the result of when we see ourselves as our savior king. Oh, we could come up with more, but those are three that I clearly see in this passage of scripture. So how do we close this? I think of Matthew 28 verses, Matthew 11 verses 28 and 29 that says, come to me all who are weak, weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says to us, come to me. I'm the only one who's able to be your savior king. Come to me. You're weary, you're heavy laden. You know what I've found? I've tried to be my own savior king. I just want you to know that. And sadly, I've tried to be other people's savior king. And I can play the game for a while, but the more and more that I see myself as that for myself and others, you know what begins to happen? I for sure become weary. And I for sure become weighed down. Because that's not who God made me to be. 
Remember, what's my primary role? And it's not just for you, it's for my kids, for my wife, for myself. And see, the Lord is the only one who's able to be my Savior King. And I wonder this morning if we're feeling exhausted, if we're feeling discouraged, if we're feeling weighed down, it's because that's what we're trying to be. But Jesus says, you know what? You want to know how you have rest? Take my yoke upon you. And just to be transparent with you as a pastor, I've thought for so long, I'm like, the idea of putting on somebody else's yoke, that's really not the first thing that I want to do. That sounds just as heavy as everything else that I'm carrying. But Jesus says it's light. Why is it light? Because he says, I'm humble and I'm gentle in heart. The yoke that Jesus wants you to carry is humility and gentleness. That word gentleness is probably not a word that any man wants to be described by, but it's actually a very strong term because it means power under control. So the way that I experience rest, the way that I go into 2023 the way the Lord wants me to, is to say, I'm gonna exercise humility and admit that I can't be my Savior King. And I'm gonna rest in the one who can. And I'm not gonna try to take whatever giftedness and whatever, whatever uh, influence the Lord has given me and to try to make something of myself. That's not power under control. No, no, no. I'm gonna understand that the Lord's my Savior King and the promise is rest. The promise is not free from adversity. The promise is not that, that, we, may not, that we may never encounter suffering again because we live in a sinful world, but the promise is rest. It takes faith takes confidence. The result is influence, but it doesn't come from you and it doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? And man, let's be resolved in 2023. Let's remind ourselves this year that Jesus is the one who makes a difference. Not you, not me, Jesus. Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity to gather on this first Sunday of Salem Chapel of 2023 and remind ourselves through your word of who you are. God, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.